Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. All right. This is week three of a three-week discussion we're having on marriage. And where this was born out of is we are actually in the middle of discussing the whole book of Mark together. Uh, we've been studying through the book of Mark together for the last several months, and we're still going to continue to study that together. But we came to a place in Jesus' ministry where the Pharisees kind of cornered him and asked him some hard questions about marriage, divorce, and remarriage and their culture. And so instead of just camping out there for the one week that we typically would have, we, we felt compelled that, you know what, this really washes up on our shore of life. Because in this room, even right now, and those of you watching online, like the variety of different marital and relational scenarios are like a, a million different things. And so we need to spend a little bit more time on that. So we're kind of doing a series within the series, three weeks on biblical covenant, God's design for marriage, divorce, remarriage, how all that works, where you fit into that, and how you should respond biblically and rightly based on where your feet are landing right now. And so um, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 with me this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is now going to be a part of our third week. And I'll be honest with you, like, I knew that one week was going to be insufficient to talk about marriage because it was going to leave us with more questions than we did answers. Honestly, I feel a little guilty that even three weeks is going to be insufficient and leave us kind of in the same lurch. But ultimately, sometime off in the future, we will do a more robust series on marriage and talk through all the layers of like our roles and all the stuff that God has designed marriage to be. Right now, we're kind of doing the flyover and we're hitting the highlights. Two weeks ago, we started using Jesus's words in Mark chapter 10 as he points back to the beginning of all creation. And he reminds us like when God orchestrated this whole thing called life and when he instituted the covenant of marriage, like why God did that, where it fell into the creation story and what his big master plan for marriage was and how it was supposed to impact our life and our society. We also talked about why marriage is so daggum difficult sometimes. That reared its head up that week as well. And then last week we looked into the life of Jesus going back into Mark chapter 10, we looked at the specific things that Jesus said to those Pharisees in response as Jesus detailed for us um, all of the outline of what marriage is supposed to be according to God and according to the word of God. And so if you missed any of those two conversations over the last couple of weeks, you can always check it out on YouTube, Facebook, our website, gbc.life, if you wanna get caught up on that. But ultimately, each of those weeks kind of built up to this week. Now, I told you, we're talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. This is the divorce and remarriage week. And this is the week that has all the nuances kind of to it because listen, God's design for marriage is unchanging. His master strategy for marriage never changes. He has a perfect purpose in how he wants to pull the thing off and a perfect big why he gave us marriage to begin with, which we talked about the last couple of weeks. It's when we get into the convoluted, messy stuff of life that we find ourselves in the divorce and remarriage situation. And that's what the word of God has something to say about that as well, because the people of those days were asking a lot of the same questions we're asking in these days. Just a few of the questions we're gonna hit today are, <coughs> Is it good? Is it a good decision for a Christian to date a non-Christian? Those of y'all that are dating, I wonder how many of y'all have even thought about that. But is it a good decision for a Christian to date a not yet Christian? 
Is it a good decision for a Christ follower to marry a not yet Christ follower? What do you do if you are in a Christian marriage, but you're absolutely miserable? Are you allowed to get a divorce, biblically speaking? If not, then why not? And if you do get a divorce, are you allowed to go remarry somebody else that you like better? What should a Christian wife or husband do if they are married to somebody that's not a Christian? What are they supposed to do in that specific situation? And what are their next steps? Like, these weren't just hypothetical questions I came up with for the sake of laying the groundwork for today. These were the exact questions that the people in Ancient of Days in Corinth were asking the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul replied to them. We're going to start, we're going to pick up in chapter 7. I would encourage you for homework today to read all of chapter 7. We're only going to be hitting a handful of verses starting in chapter 10. All right? Uh, Let me just say as a disclaimer, because I didn't know where else to put this in the sermon, so I'm just going to throw it out there right now. Um, All of these words that we're going to be reading today are inspired by God for the people of God, those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ, all right? Um, The Bible doesn't give any instructions at all concerning marriage for people that are not believers in Jesus. The Bible just assumes you're going to do marriage like the world does marriage, So let me, the reason why I say that, I'm assuming, I know not all of you are followers of Jesus. Some of y'all came in here because somebody said they'd buy your breakfast if you came or whatever. I'm glad you're here. We love that you're here. We love being a part of your life and story. Thanks for coming to hang out with us today. You don't have to agree with anything that I'm saying today. This was written to Christian people that are following Jesus. But I wanted to say to those of you that, man, the, the, the dynamics of your life were different before you came to Jesus. I want you to know that these were written to those who are already in Christ. For those of you that do profess Jesus as Lord and King, these are specific instructions for your life concerning your marital situation, all right? If, you, if your life went off the rails prior to coming to Jesus and you ended up divorced, remarried, who knows what, whatever your situation was, I want to remind you that according to the scriptures, when you came to Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. That old you, that dead you, probably didn't know how to do marriage well because you weren't submitting to the Lord Jesus. And so I want you to know that like, as you came to Christ Jesus, all that was past is show enough past. He's taking care of all of that for you. All right. Now that we are in Christ, those of you that are believers, we still have messy dynamics in our marriages and relationships. What we got to figure out how to do is, Lord, how do I honor you right now with where my feet are planted in my particular sticky situation? I'm hoping that the day shine some light on that for all of us as whether you're single, married, divorced, remarried, widowed, whatever, I'm hoping that you'll see some encouragement in here for you as well. Again, you have to read all of chapter seven this afternoon. He talks about some other specific things, but I'm hitting the highlights right here, starting in verse 10. The apostle Paul says, to the married, say the married. He's talking about married Christians, two Christ followers that are married together. He says, to the married, I give you this charge, not I, But the Lord, he says parenthetically, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain what? Unmarried or else be what? Reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife, or the same rules apply. Otherwise, you get the idea. To the rest, I say, he says parenthetically, I, not the Lord. Let me clarify that for you real quick. Back in verse 10, he says, the Lord and not me said this. And then in this one, he says, I'm saying this to you, not the Lord. What does he mean by that parenthetically? Just so you know, he's not undermining the authority that what he is sharing with us carries at all. He's speaking very specifically about a very specific thing. When he says, 
The Lord said this, not me. He's saying, you've already heard Jesus talk about this. I'm just reminding you what Jesus has already said. Parentheses number one, verse 10, when he says, the Lord and not I. He said, you already heard Jesus talk about this, so here it is again. Nothing new here. We studied some of that last week, Mark chapter 10. This parentheses under that, verse 12, when he says, now I, not the Lord, am saying this. He's not saying that this isn't coming from God. He's he's not saying that this doesn't hold the weight of authority of all the rest of the scriptures. He's not saying that if Jesus himself was here that he would disagree with me. What he's saying is very literally, you haven't heard Jesus talk about this yet, but I'm confident with the full weight of scripture and the authority that God has given me that were he here and you were to ask him this question, this is exactly what he would say. But even though he hasn't said this to you specifically because he wouldn't ask that question, let me answer it for you. So Paul's saying, hey, you're hearing this from me for the first time, is what he's saying. And he says, to the rest I say, I am not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife, any brother, he's referring to a Christian brother, who has a wife who is not a believer, and she consents to continue to be married with him and live with him, and he should not divorce her. And if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to continue to live with her and be in marriage with her, then she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy too. But... If the unbelieving partner decides to separate and divorce, they get sick and tired of your Christian life, they don't want to have anything to do with you anymore, verse 15 says, then let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister, the Christian in that marriage is no longer enslaved. In other words, you're not bound by the covenant if that unbelieving spouse got so sick and tired of you that they decided to leave you. God has called you to peace, he said. For how do you know, wife, whether you would save your husband, and how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife. Listen, the apostle Paul, as he's writing this, is addressing two specific groups of people. Both of those groups I know are sitting here today. Now there's some encouragement for those of you that are single and hoping to be married in here as well. And we'll get to that in just a second. But the first group of people he talks to in verses 10 and 11 are two Christians who are married together. All right, both the husband and the wife are followers of Jesus Christ. And just as in the days of Corinth, we also have this day and age. There were two Christians in covenant relationship with each other, but I mean, you know, they had grown apart over time. Or maybe one of them thought that, you know, it's easy for me to be obedient to the Lord if I don't have him around me all the time. Or maybe this situation was altogether different than that. Maybe it was a situation of, quite honestly, like we're just sick and tired of each other. And we've been seeing the therapist, but that ain't helping because he's just too daggum aggravating. But anyway, it was two Christians, Christ followers, that had truly given their lives to the Lord that they were asking to Paul saying, hey, can we, can we just move on to other people that we're going to like better? Essentially what they were asking the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul's response to them was, hey, hey, wait, 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 stop, stop pursuing divorce. Stop treating marriage like the culture does. Man, this, this marriage is a sacred covenant given to us by God himself. Since the beginning of time, Jesus pointed back to it when we studied his words last week, like this is bigger and more incredible than what we just look at on the earthly surface. Like this is 
God's showing us a glimpse of what his covenant with us is like. Marriage is a sacred union where two become one flesh, where God does an extraordinary, miraculous work in the life of two people that decide to enter into covenant with one another with the Lord. Like, don't take that lightly. Marriage is not disposable or expensable. Like, marriage is sacred. Fight for it. Make every effort to make that work. Marriage is not about your preferences or trying to be happy. Marriage is about you together learning to walk with Jesus together. And the apostle Paul says, hey, don't divorce. Don't treat marriage like the world does. Don't divorce for illegitimate reasons. And then I hear folks telling Paul as folks say to me, yeah, but Dustin, you got to understand, like we've been meeting with a therapist and the therapist said we have irreconcilable differences. Listen to me right quick. Your children have irreconcilable differences and you ain't pack one of them up yet. We're speaking to marriages where both the husband and the wife are submitted followers of Jesus Christ as Lord. If that be the case, there's no such thing as irreconcilable differences. You know why? Because when you both came into relationship with Jesus as Lord, you were promised that now the Holy Spirit of God has now come to dwell within you. So there is no such thing as an irreconcilable difference when the reconciler himself now lives within both of you. The one who brings reconciliation to irreconcilable circumstances now is all up in your house because he dwells within both of you. There's no such thing as irreconcilable differences within a Christian covenant of marriage when both husband and wife profess that Jesus is Lord and King. Now you might have a pride problem. Maybe you're on the wrong track for therapy. We might need to address some personal pride issues in the one or the both of you, but irreconcilable differences is not an option. If your therapist keeps telling you that, they're giving you the wrong advice, you need to find a new therapist. I'm happy to point you to the power of the Holy Spirit in half the time for half the price. Y'all come see me now. It'll be the quickest therapy session you ever had. Oh, BJ, one of our therapists is sitting in here right now. We good with that? We cool? All right, thank you. That's good. Man, I don't want you to listen to the lies of the enemy to try to convince you to treat marriage like the world does. The reconciler, the, the resurrector himself lives inside of you. And he can bring life out of dead things anytime he wants to. The question is, are both of you going to be willing, oh, Christian people in a marriage, to bow your heart before Jesus as Lord and move towards him as he draws you closer to one another? And for those that decided, after hearing that from the Apostle Paul, like, ah, you know what? It's just going to be too hard. It's just going to take too much time. Paul gives them a nice cold splash of water in the face by letting them know, okay, if you decide to go on and get divorced anyway, here's your two biblical options, oh, Christian. He says in verse 11, that you are either to remain unmarried from this point forward or in some time you reconcile to one another. The whole point is reconciliation. That's God's design within a Christian marriage. Christian marriages that are trying to find illegitimate reasons to divorce. He says, hey, the grass is not greener on the other side of the marital fence for you because if you're divorcing for illegitimate reasons, your two options biblically in order to continue to honor the Lord with your life and your decisions, is either you remain single for the rest of your life and celibate singleness. You know what celibacy means? You know what that means? Y'all want me to tell you? 
celibate singleness or you reconcile with the one that we talked about on the screen that the Lord has given you that you have entered into covenant with. That's your two biblical options. Now, Jesus does give an exception clause. Uh, We see it in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. Jesus gives an exception clause even to Christian marriages. And Jesus puts it like this. He says, whoever divorces his wife except for, in the case of sexual immorality, and marries another commits adultery. Jesus kind of flips the whole argument on its head. He's saying adultery is, he's not saying it's a command that if your spouse cheats on you that now you have to leave the marriage. Not at all. I've seen marriages be totally restored and healed better than they ever were after, after an adultery situation because they decided that, man, priorities had gotten out of whack and we're going to run hard and fast toward Jesus and now their marriage is richer than it has ever been, more rich than they even thought possible. He's not commanding you to get divorced in that situation. He is saying to the offended party that if your spouse cheats on you sexually with someone else, then you then have the, the option, the biblical response to then leave that covenant and be remarried to someone else. But he flips it on his head and says, but if that doesn't happen, if anyone divorces except for that reason of sexual immorality and marries another, they're the ones that have now committed adultery. You get what I'm saying? If you just divorce for illegitimate reasons because you're not getting along anymore and decide to marry someone else, biblically speaking, you have committed adultery according to what Jesus has said himself right here. Flips it all on its head. So we would understand the permanence of marriage. He wants this to be a lifelong covenant. It's not meant to be treated unadvisedly or lightly at all. And then Paul goes on to speak to what we're referred to as Mixed marriages here. To the rest I say, you know what a mixed marriage is according to the Bible? Let me just make sure we're all on the same page there. Does the Bible allow for people to marry somebody from a different culture or nationality? Absolutely. Does the Bible allow for people to marry somebody of a different race or skin color? Absolutely. When the Bible, as a matter of fact, Moses, one of the great patriarchs of the faith, Moses was a Middle Eastern Israelite boy and he married an Ethiopian girl, just to give you an example. All right. Um, When the Bible refers to mixed marriage, it's talking about one specific thing. It's talking about one spouse being a believer in Jesus Christ and one spouse not, or worshiping another God, whether that is the God of themselves, the God of money, or some other pagan God or whatever, like that, according to the scripture, is a mixed marriage. And this is what he says to those, to the rest I say, where there's one Christian in the relationship, one not Christian in the relationship, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him still and be in covenant marriage, then he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him because, listen, the unbelieving Husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner decides to leave you after all, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. In other words, no longer held liable by that covenant. Listen, when it comes to mixed marriages, this is the only 
standard and command we get from the scripture on who it is that you should marry. All right, single folks need to listen, particularly you single folks, whether you are never been married or whether you want to get remarried or whatever. All right, um, the Bible says one thing, and it's in two different locations that you need to be aware of. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 7, God spoke through Moses and told the people of Israel, don't intermarry with the other nations, not because they were other nations with different skin colors and different cultures. He says, don't intermarry with other nations, Deuteronomy 7, lest their gods become your gods. You hear what I'm saying? It was all about faith. God said, listen, if you fall in love with somebody outside of here and you kind of get immersed in their culture, like you're going to get lured away to believing in these false gods. So don't do that. The New Testament puts it exactly like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, do not be unequally yoked together with someone of a different race or culture. No, doesn't matter. Do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. You know why? Because that means one person is the believer in Jesus Christ and you have confessed and believed that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection means everything for everything in your past, present, and future. But the other person does not believe that. They believe that it means nothing for their past, present, and future. There's a foundational difference right from the get-go right there. So you may not have thought about, should I only date Christians? The answer is absolutely should, should I, I'm thinking about getting married to so-and-so. Well, does he believe in Jesus Christ as Lord? And is he living with his heart bowed towards him as Lord? If not, I would say no or wait. Because you can't have one person that sees Jesus as the beginning and the end of all things and one person who could care less and think that you're going to have a recipe for a healthy future and a healthy marriage. That's why the Bible gives us that one criteria as you're looking for a spouse. But I'm going to just guess. Not all of us heeded that command of the scripture. Quite honestly, not all of us even realized it was there. We just weren't thinking about it. We were smitten. I mean, she was just so fun, you know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, you got to understand, like, there ain't nobody like her, you know what I'm saying? I, I get it. Like, we just, man, we, we weren't in that mode at the time, maybe, and now you may find yourself married to someone who's not a believer, wondering, well, what in the world am I supposed to do in this situation? Things have been getting tough because as you've grown in your faith, they obviously haven't. And you're wondering why there seems to be this constant dissonance there. The word of God has something to say to you as well. And we read it right there in those handful of verses, uh, starting in verse 12 through 15. He says, listen, if the unbelieving spouse wants to stay married to you, the unbelieving spouse is committed to this covenant relationship you have, listen to me, Christian folk, don't dare use your Christianity as the excuse for your reason for divorce. That's what he's saying. Like, how unchristian is that? Like, because God has allowed for this unbeliever to be in my house, now, my Christianity is the reason why I got to leave you. What? You think they're ever going to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and King if you're using as an excuse to abandon them? There's nothing biblical about that. He says, no, if your unbelieving spouse will continue to live with you and covenant with you, then you need to continue to work towards that marriage, continue to allow God to work in that marriage. But he does go on to say in verse 15, see it for yourself, if that unbelieving spouse hates the fact that you know and love Jesus, can't stand the fact that you're in his word all the time, hates that you're at church, like just sick and tired 
of, of the way that you live your life and what you believe in, and they're ready to walk. I'm not saying you shouldn't fight for your marriage because you should, but what I am saying is, and what the Apostle Paul said is, if they insist on walking, then let them walk, and you are no longer enslaved to that covenant. If, you, if literally your hands are tied behind your back because they don't know Jesus, they don't know how to do marriage right, and they're wanting to leave you or whatever, like the reality of it is, biblically speaking, in relation to the covenant, you are no longer held liable to that covenant if they're going to leave you and abandon you in that situation. But Paul encouraged, knowing that some of y'all are in that, your spouse does want to stay, you're wrestling through how to do this well, Paul encourages you with these words, verse 14. He says, but hey, um, hang in there. If your spouse is going to continue to live with you in marriage, like, oh, Christian person, man, fight for this. Hang in there because, look, he says these really mysterious words. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. And even the children are impacted by this holiness because of the believing spouse that's still in the house. What in the world does that mean? Let me clear up what it doesn't mean first, all right? Listen, nobody gets saved, forgiven, made right with God by osmosis. Look, I know some of y'all's granddaddies were a preacher and all that. Some of y'all might even been blessed by the Pope. That don't mean a hill of beans for nothing. You hear what I'm saying? Like your relationship to Jesus has to be your relationship with Jesus, okay? Nobody gets saved by hanging out with saved people just by osmosis. And so what he doesn't mean simply is that, well, you know, wife, because you're so faithful to the Lord, like the God's going to let your husband into heaven, even though he doesn't believe. Even though he doesn't trust Jesus as Lord and King, God's going to forgive him anyway because you're such an awesome lady. That's not what that means. That's not what that means. What the Apostle Paul is trying to remind the spouse of an unbeliever is that, man, the holiness of God dwells in your house through you. Man, the common grace of God is being poured into you and being poured out of you by God, even when you don't see it. Man, the power of God is being displayed through your life as you continue to remain in that marriage. There is a conduit, a window of the holiness and the mercy of God that is filling up your home, even though it doesn't feel like it. He's reminding you, even though you may feel alone, even though the enemy may be whispering lies into your ears, oh, believing spouse, he's saying, hey, you're not alone in this. I know it feels like you're swimming up current, but you're not because you are the current. Listen, the Holy Spirit that dwells within you is the one that has all of them, your unbelieving family, children and spouse. They're right in the middle of the crosshairs of his love story. He's so crazy about them, in fact, that he planted you in their home. He wants to work through your life that they might experience him. I know it may not feel like you're making much ground there. I may know it may feel like you're alone. But this is not an upcurrent swim for you. You've got the Holy Spirit on your side. And let me tell you what, you plus Jesus outnumbers any opposition you will ever have in your life. Hang in there. Be strong. Be encouraged. Trust in the Lord. Continue to allow him to work through your marriage. For those of you ladies that are in this situation with an unbelieving husband, the Apostle Peter even has some specific words for you on this situation. They are also confirmed by other things the Apostle Paul has said, but Peter said this, 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, he says to the wife of an unbelieving husband, wives be subject to your husbands. That's not new news, that's something that Ephesians tells us. We say husbands, submit yourself unto your, or wives submit yourself to your husbands out of reverence for the Lord. It says wives continue to be subject to your husband, do the thing I've called you to do. So that even if some do not obey the word, even if your husband is not a believer, he's not walking in faithfulness to the word of God, 
that they may be one without a word, but by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Spend some time mulling over that in prayer if you're a wife in that situation, inviting the Lord to display himself through your life, through your conduct, through your kindness, through your words, that your unbelieving husband or children uh, might become believers. Now to the men who are married to an unbelieving wife, Ephesians chapter 5, 25 has something to say to you. Paul said this to all husbands. He says, husbands, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Notice he didn't say you are to love your believing wife as Christ loved the church. You are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This afternoon, you need to read the rest of that section in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25. O husbands of unbelieving wives, and be encouraged by your kingdom call of the role of husband in that home. And God, yes, God can use you to transform the life of your spouse. This is why Paul goes on to say in verse 15 and 16, well, for how do you know if the Lord's not gonna save your wife through you? Or how do you know if the Lord's not gonna save your husband through you? This is Paul just giving us some great encouragement. There's so much hope in those words, especially when you realize who wrote them. The apostle Paul wasn't always the apostle Paul. He used to be Saul of Tarsus, and he was a notorious Christian killer until he ran into Jesus in the most unexpected of ways. And then the guy who was a Christian killer is now someone who is making disciples of Jesus with the rest of his life and even got killed because of the disciples he was making for Jesus Christ. He says to you, how do you know if God isn't going to step into your story and do something as miraculous as he did in my life? How do you know? Continue to trust the Lord. Make that your number one mission field, your primary act of worship to the Lord. We've covered a lot of things, all right, in the last three weeks. I'm not going to be able to wrap through all the highlights that we hit, but let me hit the main points, all right? Number one that we've talked about in the last three weeks. Thing number one, God wants marriage to be, a, to be permanent and lifelong. We've talked about that every week. That's the main number one thing. His covenant to us, for those of you that are in covenant with him, that have trusted him for his death, burial, resurrection, trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins, like he will never, he will never fail on that covenant to you. He's never gonna ask you for divorce. He will be faithful to you even when you are a wicked and adulterous bride because he believes that covenant is lifelong and permanent. And so he invites us, he gives us this picture of marriage here on earth that our covenant might be lifelong and permanent as well. Second thing is, the gospel working in a believer is working on those around them. To those of you married to an unbelieving spouse or maybe you have unbelieving children in your home, maybe your adult children don't believe in Jesus as Lord, like the gospel working in somebody is always working on those who are around them. I'll say it again. You're not swimming against the current. The Christ in you is the current. He's going to decide how this thing goes down. You trust in him. Number three, there are three biblical permissions that allow for divorce within the Christian context. Three biblical permissions that allow for divorce and then by extension allow for remarriage as a result of that. Thing number one, we didn't talk about it because it kind of goes without saying, but it's death. 
if the person that you are married to passes, don't get any ideas. But I'm just saying if the person that you are married to passes away, biblically speaking, you are no longer held to that covenant. Remember you said, till death do we part. You said that as a part of your covenant. I'm just guessing. All right. So death is, is number one. Which brings up the question, well, you know, somebody will say like, well, but if my husband number one was dead and now I want to go marry some other guy, um, how, like, who will I be married to like when we get to heaven? It's gonna be, that's going to be a tricky situation, you know what I'm saying? Uh, now the truth is, the answer is, biblically speaking, neither. You're not going to be married to either one of them, all right? Uh, marriage is a gift given by God that we might enjoy this side of heaven so we have some look through a keyhole of what his covenant of marriage with us looks like. All right, marriage is not an eternal covenant. It is a lifelong covenant that is separated when death do you part. The reality of it is, is Jesus is the groom of heaven and we are the bride of Christ. When we all get to heaven one day and we're celebrating around the wedding supper of the Lamb, we're all going to be celebrating finally being home with Jesus, our Lord and King. You're going to still know and love your spouse. This is a whole other conversation. If this uprooted your life, we can have a private conversation. You'll still know and love your spouse, but you're going to know and love your spouse in the way that you do all the other saints of heaven. There's not going to be, you're not going to sit on your rocking chair on your 40 acres of heaven and just watch 10 billion years pass by. Not going to happen. All right, I know that that can be a little bit confusing. Jesus himself clarified that one for us. He taught us in Matthew chapter 22, verse 23 through 30. Matthew chapter 22, verse 23 through 30, that in the kingdom of heaven, we will neither be married or given in marriage. So there won't be any other weddings either. All right, that ain't what heaven's all about. It's a gift for this side of earth, this side of heaven on earth, that we might know what the covenant of marriage is like that we're gonna get to enjoy with the king one day. So death, all right, that's number one. All right, three biblical permissions that would allow for the end of a marriage covenant and then allow for remarriage. Death is one of them. The second one in no particular order is adultery. We just heard Jesus talk about that. Matthew chapter 19, verse nine, adultery. Uh, again, that's Jesus did not command you to get divorced in the case of marital unfaithfulness. He just gave you that as an option to no longer be held by that covenant should you choose to leave under those specific conditions, all right? Uh, number three is the situation of abandonment. Abandonment, we just read about that, 1 Corinthians chapter seven, for example. When you're in a situation with an unbelieving spouse who now just leaves, they don't wanna have anything to do with you. You've done everything you can to fight for that marriage, but you have now been abandoned by that spouse, biblically speaking, that covenant. Uh, you have been, you as that individual has been released from that covenant. Uh, I'm gonna, I told you guys throughout this three week series, I'm not gonna share with you my opinion about anything as we are teaching on the words and work of Jesus through marriage. Um, and because my opinion doesn't matter, we're looking at the word of God here. It'd be a waste of my time to use this as a platform for my opinion. Y'all don't care to hear it either. Um, I told you there'd be one time in this three-week conversation that I would tell you my opinion. That way you could decide whether or not you were going to ride with it. But I just want you to know I agree with me, all right, just so y'all know. Um, now, 
I think I, I much like the apostle Paul say it to you like this. Th- this is I, not the Lord, because you didn't hear Jesus say anything specific about this. But, but, I, but I am convinced, and I'd be willing to stand before God in the throne room of heaven one day with this conviction. I am convinced that the Lord, that the Lord also stands in the same place. Jesus just wasn't asked this specific question, so it didn't come up in conversation. And also, um, the fact that uh, culturally things are a little bit different, and I believe that the whole counsel of God's word speaks to this reality. But I, I tuck this one up under abandonment, and, and the fourth thing that I would say is a legitimate reason for divorce that would then allow for uh, the, 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 the offended spouse to be remarried is in a situation of legitimate ongoing abuse. Now, say legitimate ongoing abuse, all right? I, I stand convinced, not only culturally, but biblically, that that is also a legitimate reason for one spouse to leave another, and legitimate ongoing abuse. Now, I'm very specific about how I worded that. Um, now, the reason why I believe that the Bible makes this provision for us, culturally speaking, is because in our day and age, a lot of times you get married and you move as far away from your parents as you can. That's just how it kind of works sometimes. And their time, it wasn't much like that at all. To get married meant you were going to kind of move in with the family. You would at least be neighbors. If not, you would, you would, uh, you would build onto the family dwelling. It would just be a huge family house and everybody lived together in their culture. So Jesus didn't have to say a lot about abuse because if some guy was beating on his wife, Night after night, her brothers would come on over and take care of that. It didn't have to be said because it would have been handled within the context of the way they lived their lives. We didn't have like these houses on ranches where nobody can hear our screams, you know what I'm saying? I say that culturally speaking, but I also say that biblically speaking in reference to the entire counsel of the word of God. There's no silver bullet in the scriptures that says this. So if you disagree with me, you can disagree with me on it. I'm fine with that. But the entire counsel of the word of God leaves me to believe that in a situation of legitimate ongoing abuse, that this is as much a clear example of abandonment to the marriage covenant vows as anything else could ever be. You hear what I'm saying? Now, let me speak to what legitimate ongoing abuse is. Because we're in a culture where our feelings just get hurt over nothing. All right. Y'all wearing me out with that foolishness. What is legitimate ongoing abuse? It's easy to measure physical abuse. It's easy to see that. Listen, ladies or even fellas, I know it's not just the ladies, it oftentimes is, but I know fellas are also victims of physical violence in the home as well. Here's what I'll tell you. If your spouse is physically abusing you to the point you are not safe, your children are not safe, this this wasn't a one-time accident, on some drunken stupor, this has been an ongoing issue and your safety is in jeopardy, you need to get out, all right? We'll help you move your junk to your mama's house. I'm not saying you got a divorce, I'm saying you need to get out for now. There's some other things that need to get figured out and situated and reprioritized so that if you're gonna remain in that marriage, you can be there safely, all right? Whether you're the guy or the girl, doesn't matter, you need to get out. And if your children are victims of that abuse, you darn sure better get out right now. Now, physical abuse is the easiest to measure, but it's not the only type of abuse, is it? We have verbal abuse, you know, psychological and emotional abuse. 
those are a little bit trickier. And I'm just going to have to leave that up to you to have an honest conversation with yourself and maybe a very qualified biblical counselor about. Sometimes folks come to me and they say, yeah, but you don't realize, like, my husband's so verbally abusive to me. I'm like, hey, I'm not saying that he isn't, but my question for you is how verbally abusive are you to him? I'm just imagining if your marriage is in trouble, y'all are probably barking at each other a lot. So let's not point fingers at somebody else when you're just as much a part of the problem. You hear what I'm saying? That, that's not legit. Legitimate ongoing abuse, the question I'm asking, is that verbal, psychological, emotional abuse that's happening to you, is it something that you're propagating and you're feeding because of your bad attitude? Listen, hurt feelings is not abuse. Are you propagating that because of your bad attitude towards your spouse, or are you legitimately the victim of a crime? That's what I'm asking you. I can't answer it for you because I don't sit on your couch when y'all act crazy. We can only give bumpers and boundaries and counsel toward that end, but at the end of the day, you're the one that's going to have to answer the Lord. Is this a legitimate crime that's happening to you? If it is, get out. If it's something else, if we just need to deal with like some pride issues in the home, some, some yelling and backbody, maybe you need some communication tools, like let's work on it from that and fight for your marriage. But in the case of legitimate ongoing abuse, I believe that the word of God would give us the free pass. I do believe that. That leads us to number four, divorcing for any other reason than what has been outlined above. According to the scriptures, divorcing for any other reason leaves you as a Christian with two options. Celibate singleness. You want me to tell you what celibacy is? Celibate singleness or reconciliation. Maybe you're divorced for a while, you get remarried. I've seen it happen many times before. Those are your two biblical options. But regardless of where you land on, because I know now people are going to ask, so, so what if I've already been divorced and got, you know, for the wrong reasons and now been remarried? Even though I recognize that my reasons were illegitimate at the time. Listen, the Bible recognizes that your marriage is legitimate, even this second one that came out of illegitimate reasons. The Bible acknowledges the marriage as legitimate, but Jesus said, though, that that marriage began as an adultery. I'm not saying that, that you're stuck in some ongoing cycle of adultery because you got divorced and remarried for illegitimate reasons. What I am saying, though, is, is that new marriage that you have started as an adultery, all right? Because it was not the covenant that you had committed to under the Lord and you divorced for illegitimate reasons and now you're, you know, with somebody else or whatever. Now, with that said, honor the Lord with where you're at right now. Do all the right things that the Lord has called you to through his word in this marriage situation that is, in fact, a legitimate marriage. If you stood there in covenant before God and that spouse and committed yourselves to them in covenant marriage, like, do it right this time. Honor the word of God this time. Matter of fact, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this better than I ever could, so let me just quote him. I say carefully and advisedly and almost in fear, Grace Bible, lest I give even the semblance of a suggestion that I'm saying anything that might encourage anyone to sin. But on the basis of the gospel and in the interest of the truth, I am compelled to say this. Even adultery is not the unforgivable sin. It's a terrible sin, but God forbid that there should be anyone who feels that he or she has sinned themselves outside of the love of God or outside of his kingdom because of adultery. No, if you truly repent, realize the enormity of your sin and cast yourself upon the boundless love and mercy and grace of God, you can be forgiven and I assure you of pardon. 
I hear the words of our blessed Lord Jesus say, go and sin no more. Pastor Cam, will you come up and help me land this plane, which leads me to number five. Listen, and number five is God's grace is sufficient for your imperfect story. I would bet that over the last three weeks, talking about God's vision and design for marriage has been a devastating conversation for some of y'all. I commend you for coming back for more. I know it hasn't been easy to swallow. The tr- tr- we, we've said it forever, truth hurts, it really does. Like it, the, the truth of the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword, man. It pierces deep, doesn't it? But I want you to understand very much so, though the truth is unchanging, even amidst the grace of God being on full display in our lives, I want you to know that God's grace is sufficient for your imperfect story right now, wherever it is that you are landing right now because of your life circumstances. Listen, God does hate divorce, but he loves divorcees. God hates what divorce does to families. He hates the fact that it undermines one of his most foundational institutions in creation. He hates it for a lot of reasons, but he doesn't hate you at all. He's crazy about you. God doesn't hate people who've blown it sexually. God doesn't hate people who have blown it maritally. Listen, you have not sinned yourself out of the grace of God. The grace of God through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and through his resurrection is deeper and higher and greater and wider than we could ever imagine. And it's sufficient for your imperfect story. I want you to find healing in Jesus for whatever got you to this point. But I want your hope and your trust in Jesus to be so firm and so assured that you are committed for wherever you stand right now, based on your specific situation, to walk in faithfulness to the Lord and his word from here on out. That's what we pray for you. Now I want to ask Pastor Cam to come up and help us land the plane and invite us into something that might help nurture that in our lives. Yeah, Dustin, you often say that the, the scripture is not written to, the majority of the scripture is not written to a person but to a people. And we believe that we need one another in order for our marriages to thrive and to reflect the beauty of all that God has in mind for them. And so as a result, those of you, I mean, we've had lots of conversations with people these last couple of weeks that are just saying, we need help. We want to take seriously this call to allow our marriages to be as healthy as possible, but we don't know what to do next. And so for those of you that are leaning in, we want to invite you to take a next step. Uh, we believe that circles are better than rows. We believe that some of the best circles you're ever going to find are in our living rooms. And so we are going to launch a handful of grace groups that are going to be walking through this resource that Dustin has been talking about for the last couple of weeks called Sacred Marriage. Uh, it's a powerful book that introduces an idea that our marriages are not just about our happiness. What if they were more about our holiness? Uh, what if more so it was a relationship to make us look more and more like Jesus? Uh, and we need one another for that to be the case. We've had about three or four couples say, hey, I want to open up my home and I want to facilitate this conversation. I want to push play on the Right Now Media video and I want to lead the conversation with a group of married couples who want to come and sit in our home. And so if that's you, if you're interested, if you want to be brave and take a next step, we simply want you to text SACRED, the word SACRED, to that number, 863-456-1262. And you're just signing up for an interest list. If we have enough of you that are interested, then we're going to divvy you up, prayerfully put you into grace groups, hopefully geographically located where you live or season of life. And then we're going to trust Jesus as you walk through this six-session conversation. 
And then at the end of that, we're going to just ask you to prayerfully consider with that group if you guys just might want to hang out for another six to nine months and see what God wants to do as you learn to live together as a family in community and on mission. You know, we believe that grace groups, our off-campus in-house groups, are the way that we're going to saturate the heartland with the good news of Jesus. But it's also how we're going to allow our marriages to be what God wants them to be. We need one another for that. And yeah, what, what better way to wrestle through. I'm telling you, when Ansley and I went through this book during our first year of marriage, and like, it, it so rewired the way I looked at marriage that it would have been beneficial to have other marriages in the room to digest it with because you're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. The Bible says what about, you know, and it's like it's a, it's a paradigm shift in our hearts, and it's good to process that together so we can learn to walk in obedience together. What do you say to, because, you know, I mean, you love to share your deep, most inner feelings with people all the time, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> what, what do you say to the couple uh, or to the husband or wife that's like, man, I ain't trying to let nobody up in my business? Yeah, that's fine. I would say to that person like me, make your goal in sitting in the group is to digest the information well and to have a safe sounding board to bounce that information off of, but it's just about you being able to understand it and apply it and just see what the Lord does with your own transparency in the process. Nobody's going to be sitting there asking you invasive questions that you have to respond to. But like, just see what the Lord does as you learn to trust each other and you're being changed by his word together. Just how much he might draw some stuff out of you that you didn't plan on sharing before, but we'll just leave that between you and the Lord. Nobody's going to expect it or require it of you. And if you're not married, if you're single, uh, this isn't just an invitation for a grace group for a married couple. Text sacred anyway and let us know that you're looking for a different kind of small group. Um, we, we've purchased well, a resource. This will be great for singles, too. Absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, if you can come preloaded with an understanding that marriage ain't about you. Well, you know uh, what you're looking for, too. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody that shares that conviction. Absolutely. You know, we have one lady who... Um, we, we've had some folks who have communicated that, you know, I'm in that situation that you talked about. I'm married. Uh, I love Jesus. My spouse is not. I want to do this, but my other spouse isn't interested. Uh, can I be a part of a group? And the answer is yes, because I'm pretty sure there's other people in that same scenario in our so. church. And so mm -hmm. reach out to us. Let us know. Um, we we want to equip you to live in community and on mission with each other. You know, our definition of a disciple around here is one who is increasingly submitting all of life to the leadership of Jesus. And you cannot do that on a Sunday morning once a week. We need one another living in community and on mission together so that all of the stuff of life can spill out of us and so that we can see we need help we need one another uh, and Jesus wants to meet us in those places and so uh, let me pray for you guys any last yeah. thoughts no just a reminder text the word if you can't read it from the back or if you're listening to our podcast and, and you're not able to see what we have text the word sacred s-a-c-r-e-d to 863-456-1262